welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and this is my podcast where I get to talk to coaches about coaching and I'm going down the Australian path again today. I've got a very uh, good coach based down here in Victoria, Travis Harrison on the, on the line today. Thanks for coming in and having a chat with me, Travis. No problem at all, Brent. My pleasure. Mate, I certainly appreciate your time. I know how flat out you are, but I think we're going to have a have a really cool conversation, and um, I think we've got a whole lot of different things to to talk about. So, for those that don't know who you are, tell me a bit about yourself to get us started. Um, yeah, well, um, I'm 40 now. I've been coaching coaching golf for the last sort of uh, 12 to 13 years. Uh, prior to that, I've always had a passion for coaching and, and sports. I spent uh, spent my first seven years after leaving high school uh, snowboarding professionally, so just following winter to winter, um, going back and forth and didn't see a summer for those seven years. And uh, that was competing but also also coaching, so coaching high-level uh, high athletes, taking them overseas, looking after them, coaching them, taking them to events, a uh, bit of competition in there myself but uh, a big focus on the, on the coaching side of it. Uh, but throughout that, I had to obviously keep the folks happy, so I did a sports coaching uni degree on the side. So went through the the sports coaching uni degree at Deakin, which was under David Park, and was the one running the, the coaching side at that point in time, which was really interesting. And it was funny, you know, giving snowboard lessons um, on a I think it was on snowboard lessons on a carpet mat in Ivanhoe at the back of a ski shop that David Park had to come and uh, come and grade me on. So. Um, yeah, went through that that there, which was fantastic for my coaching as a whole. Got to the point where a few too many injuries and then being looked at as a veteran of the sport at 24. So you're like, well, I've got to, got to do something else and coaching was a passion. So I then went back to golf, which was sort of the, the second passion, which was done as much as I could between snow seasons and always held that sort of, you know, one or two handicap. Um, never had any aspirations to really be elite in the playing side but loved the coaching from snowboarding and wanted to transfer that into golf so went and saw a golf pro who uh who helped me out when i was a junior and um he said come work for me do a traineeship and away we go so uh that was that got me into the golf coaching and probably the one and only trainee who sat in the room at trainee school saying you know what do you want to do with yourself and everyone puts their hand up as player i was definitely probably the the only one that said no i want to coach so um, yeah, that, that was good. And um, yeah, so ever since then, just been a passion and also trying to give back to the trainees and now do all the, the trainee lecturing and that as well as uh, yeah, just trying to help each other learn has really been my passion the whole time. Really cool, really cool. Now, I'll come back to that tertiary study because I went down a similar path as well. Um, I didn't do it prior to my traineeship, did it after my traineeship, but um, I'll come back and chat on that you know, as we go through. But snowboarding, that was a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a weird topic. Where does the, the, the tie-in from snowboarding and golf come in? What's, what's the deal with that? Um, well, I suppose that were just the two passions. Like, So growing up as a kid, my parents, like our, our July school holidays and September school holidays were always at the snow. Um, so we would be at the snow during winter and we'd be um, up at Bonnie Doon water skiing in summer and that was just that was what my family got me into and and then luckily enough that they started taking us overseas you know to um, to Canada and a few different places when I was sort of that 16 17 and that's when I sort of you know really developed that I could actually snowboard okay so <laughs> tried to uh, make a bit of a living out of it so you know, you only get you know, free stickers and a little bit of money here and there and that's where the coaching then allowed me to make a bit more money out of snowboarding but it's amazing how how much of a tie-in there is between the two in them being such individual sports, um, such such sports where you know, you're your own person, your own thing, and the coaching side of it was very similar in relation to being able to visualise things, seeing, uh, seeing tricks, placing people in environments that will encourage a movement. Um, you know, probably people listening to this won't understand what a you know a, maybe a full half pipe or, or different things are snowboarding. But you'd place someone in an environment that helped them then create a movement, and then you would slowly change that environment to the situation that you wanted them to, to ultimately perform that movement in. So golf to me, and, and I take my coaching very similar. Where you know I might want someone to make a movement in their golf swing, and without getting full technical and telling them everything I might just place them in different environments or use constraints and different things to to help them then you know implement that change so the, the main difference between golf and snowboarding is that uh, golf there's no real consequence other than you having to walk to the trees to pick up your ball but but snowboarding there's definitely a consequence of you know if you don't listen and you don't don't commit you end up injured so 
it was a really interesting one on on the pre-preparation of my athlete snowboarding to make sure they were ready to perform a trick on snow. And there's a whole progression progress of, you know, you're starting off a diving board into water, you move on to a trampoline into a foam pit, then on a trampoline, landing on a trampoline, and then eventually you take it to snow. So trying to really step that same progression progress through golf and, you know, right from hitting a little chip to a half swing to a, you know, to a full swing and trying to really stress that that uh that you know progression progress for my athletes i think is important and that's very very similar in both sports no that's cool i, I we've had a had a channel with certain guests on this podcast about the way golf coaching is done with with people starting out and it's very much technically focused very much on the driving range working on technique i enjoy you chatting about the snowboarding that you put them in situations and i think i'll my my small amount of experience with with skiing and that type of thing is they essentially tell you a couple of things and then push you down the the small slopes and off you go and see how you go basically. So I think that's a, a good takeaway for golf coaches out there to be able to get them onto that to put them in those situations uh, quickly as they're starting out. Definitely. I mean, it's it, it goes both ways, I suppose. Like, you know, on the snow, you put straight on snow, but you put straight on snow into a green run. So a green run being an easiest run might be you put straight into golf, but you put on a putting green. So it's it's definitely relevant, but it's not that hard when you start. You know, to actually send someone out and play um, a full golf course is like saying, all right, here's your skis, go down a black run. You know, you're just going to fall to bits and things are going to go off and you think it's 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 horrible. So I suppose in golf, yes, I want to get it as practical as soon as we can. So you want to, you know, show, well, this is the ball going in the hole. This is, you know, this is hitting a shot and then make the environment tougher and tougher as you go. Like you would in snowboarding, you just make things harder and harder as you go. But because there is no consequence in golf, people want to get out and play that full golf course straight away. I had a client of mine who'd taken golf lessons for three months and he's quite a wealthy client and he decided it was a great idea to go over and pay Beth Page Black. Um, oh, wow. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't think his caddy knew what knew what hit him when he this guy can hardly make contact and not the most talented individual, but you know, he went over and did that because he just wanted to do that. That's what you know he'd heard from his mates. It was like the ultimate golfing journey so he's gone and skied the steepest double black run in the world and he's tried to do it three months into his golfing journey so you know it is a, there's a bit of both you want to get them out there playing as soon as possible but you don't want to give them the worst experience ever that they're so turned away from the game because golf is hard to start you know it's hard to get that thing in the air to start so we're trying to make it realistic but also not scare them off in the first place yeah, it, could, it would certainly scare them off playing playing Beth Page Black first yeah. up. I think it's certainly a challenge. So putting them in the correct situation, I think, is is, is obviously important as a coach to, to be sure that they're they're challenged, but they're not completely destroyed, as you said. So yeah, I think really it's, cool. I think it's really interesting with the with the beginners too. I, I made a point for part of a six month period when I was doing beginner clinics to actually ask them, you know, what's golf to you? And it's amazing the different answers. And the most common answer I got was, "Oh, hitting a ball in there." So it wasn't getting the ball in the hole. It wasn't having a lower score. It was hitting it in the air. So I'm always big on making sure I cater to their to their needs or their wants of why they're there in the first place. But so if they go go getting the ball in the hole in the least amount of strokes, well, let's start on the putting green. But if they're there saying, hey, no, it's about smashing a ball up in the air as far as you can, I've got to get them doing that pretty quickly. But then I've got to also teach them the other aspects to golf. And that's what I call then value adding to why they're there. But you've got to, yeah, it's interesting what people perceive golf is when they've never played that before. So, yeah. I like it. I, I think that's um, some really cool ideas there. So, tell me a bit about the tertiary study you did. How did you find that to start with? And what was obviously you said you were you were kind of pushed down that path by the parents. But um, do you still use that stuff now? Is it stuff that comes out in, in your coaching? Um, I think so. I think it made it made my traineeship really easy in relation to all the assignments throughout the traineeship were kind of reviews of stuff that I'd done so I could kind of just go through them really quickly in the traineeship which allowed me to then do a lot more coaching throughout my traineeship and, and be able to you know work and coach and, and do that when a lot of uh, a lot of the other trainees were stuck on the assignment so it was interesting a traineeship was though very team-based orientated so there was a lot of you know David Parker being a football coach and um, and a few of the other coaches and guest speakers we had in was very team base so there was definitely a a big difference between dealing with individuals and dealing with teams 
And um, I do think football these days is is getting up to speed, but they were actually, I think AFL football was a long way behind in quality of coaching through there. There was just good players became coaches rather than, you know, coaches becoming coaches. So it was interesting. And then a lot of it was there was obviously the accounting and business management and all of that. It wasn't just a, a coaching course. So there was definitely all those other skills that you can take further on in life and and, and utilize. So it definitely made the traineeship way easier. I'm sure I fall back on a lot of the stuff without even realizing that I'm falling back on it. Um, and, and also too, I suppose for those, it, it was done part-time over, over the period of time that I was snowboarding. So it was sort of two subjects a semester, not four. And you do that in between the seasons and, and, you know, sending in a lot of assignments So not a lot as much, you know, face to face for me, cause I was traveling a lot, but yeah, it, it was good. And you know, the folks, folks kind of said, well, you can snowboard and travel snowboarding, but you've got to be doing something else for when you stop, which is, yeah, which is good. So it did, did give me that backing, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's um, it's from a, my own personal perspective with, with regards to team sport coaching and, and our type of coaching we do with golf is it seems to be very much in the team-based uh, field more about the game, being about to, to coach them to play the game, whereas I think with golf, we, again, we as we said before, we get stuck a bit on technique, I think, sometimes. So I think there's got to be somewhere – in the centre of those two things, I think, to be in that perfect coaching situation. Yeah, definitely. And I think in team-based, there's just not anywhere near as much one-on-one with a coach. So you're setting up drills and exercises. And once again, you're putting people in environments where they have to learn how to do it. And then, you know, if you're in an environment and you let someone try and they fail, you let them fail a few times, they might work it out. But if they keep failing, then we intervene as coaches and help them um, sometimes. Sometimes I do see you know, coaches intervene way too early without letting the student fail or you know, putting a, you, know, you need to be able to achieve this task. So you know, I think we've got to let them fail to then really make, make them want to change and make them want to improve. And you know, I think it's just when you have one coach for 20 athletes, you can't one-on-one coach the whole time. Makes sense, makes sense. Now you said you shifted over to your golf traineeship. So who were some of the early influences on you as a, as a coach coming through? Yeah, definitely. So, growing up, I I really didn't have a coach. Like I was, um, I just played golf and loved playing golf. And it was interesting. There was an interview I had in a, an Australian snowboarding magazine, and one of the questions in the interview was, you know, why did you choose the life of a snowboarder and getting chicken scraps and free stickers over, a, you know, the life of a golf pro? And it's really interesting. To look back at my answer now, and it was that, you know, when I practice snowboarding, it's fun. It's you know, every single time I'm on snow is fun and good times. But when I practice golf, it's boring. I love playing the game, but hate practicing the game. So, um, you know, I used to just play and that's all I did was was play. But in saying that, I had a pretty average golf swing and could work out how to get it around off sort of that, you know, anywhere from one to three handicap depending on where I was. So I went and saw um, Scott Barrowell was the trainee at um, at Riversdale where I played my golf. And then, then by the time I came back to golf, he was the head pro at Northern Golf Course. So went and just asked his opinion and he was the one that said, hey, look, you know, come work for me and we'll sort it out. He then sent me straight to Rowan Dummett at, uh, at MGA. He was not MGA, sorry. He was at Albert Park at that point in time and uh, went down there. And I still, still to this day can remember the story of going down and seeing Rowan and introduce myself and, you know, my name's Travis, I play off too and I, I want to do a traineeship. And he's like, awesome, fantastic. Go, but I've never really had instruction. And I hit my first two shots and I remember looking up at him and he goes, so you want to do a traineeship? And I was like, yeah, 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 traineeship. Didn't think anything of it. Like just thought, you know, <laughs> whatever. And then now that I think back at it, he was looking at me going, what are you thinking, you idiot? So like, um, so from there we completely, completely changed my golf swing, you know, and got it to a point now where, you know, it's not a great golf swing, but I can demonstrate and get myself in any positions I want that my my athletes or clients can see. So, um, yeah, and got through a traineeship, no stress. The playing was no problem. Um but yeah, it was it was interesting that so Rowan as a whole was completely probably rebuilt my golf swing from the the nothing to now, which I'm you know, confident. As I said, I think the most important thing is being able to demonstrate and show my clients and, and they see the right positions. Um, so yeah, so Scott gave me pretty free reign there at Northern, which was fantastic. Um, going in there, I was pretty gung ho that I wanted to get straight in coaching, and he said you're not allowed to coach until you prove that you know the golf swing so I used to sit on his computer every day go through every golf swing of every client he had and then would write notes on what I would do with that client and um, when I started getting pretty correct or close to what he would have done he's like all right now you can start coaching a bit and that was probably a year into being there which was 
you know, I'd been there for six months prior to my traineeship. And yeah, so by that time, I'd gone through every single client in his, um, in his computer and I, I understood the goal thing a bit more. And then it was just hands on. So it was just get in there and coach. And I think by the end of my traineeship, I was, I was doing like 20 to 25 lessons a week um, on top of that. Not that we were really meant to be, but um, having gone from earning money prior to doing a traineeship to going back to uh, not earning much, I had to get in there and start coaching. And yeah, without Scotty giving me that free reign and trusting me, I, I probably wouldn't ever have got as far as I had that as quick as I had. We'll just keep that quiet. Yeah, we keep yeah. Until the academy, you were coaching that much in the traineeship, <laughs> and that's fine. But, um, yeah, having been because obviously it sounds like you were just after me going through the training program because Scott was around about the year that I was going through. So yeah. if he was training, then by the time he got the head pro there, you're probably a few years behind me. So that's that's pretty cool. So you did that traineeship and got through no problem. Um, and the shift from there was to was that straight to Brighton after that, or did yes. you go somewhere else? No, straight to Brighton. Um, I, I suppose you could call it I was semi-poached across by the guys there who, um, and they gave me pretty much, they said, look, you can be head pro at Brighton and you got free reign to do what you want coaching-wise. We want someone young and enthusiastic. And, um, you know, throughout my traineeship, I would always, I'd, I'd run two trainee programs myself every year. Um, we always had prize purses that were, you know, bigger than, you know, anything we'd see these days. So um, I love that event management side of it as well, of running those. Um, you know, so I came across there and we ran events straight away, uh, got the coaching up, you know, within the first within the first year, I was up to that sort of, you know, 25 to 30 hours of coaching uh, a week straight away in the first year. And, you know, everything just went from there. So pretty much that was for the first six years I was doing that at, at Brighton where I was just, just full-time coaching plus doing a few shop hours. And then the management came up at Brighton as well, so I sort of put my hand up and said, "Look, I, I reckon I can manage. I reckon I can manage the course as well, um, as long as as well as doing my coaching." So I sort of took that on and did three years of that, and everything increased. So we got sales up, we got you know uh, people through the door up, while still uh, still having huge coaching, and allowed me to then also employ a couple of other coaches to to work for me there. So yeah, it was it was great. It was great times. I, I love the public course side of it because I didn't have to deal with boards and committees and get things, you know, ticked off by five and six people. I could sort of, as long as I hit my budgets to the to the owners, then they were happy and I pretty much got free reign and we got super creative with events and different things that, um, yeah, just, just really worked. It was sort of, you know, have an idea, oh, well, we'll give it a crack. And if it worked, it worked. If it didn't, it didn't. And most, when you put some effort in them, they all, they all worked. So it was, uh, yeah, it was good fun. Really cool, really cool. So talk me through uh, for the overseas people tuning in. Uh, Brighton is a public course in Victoria, but it's in a well-off area. Um, so talk me through some of the, the coaching programs you put in place at Brighton in that type of market. Yeah, so it, it, it was interesting. Like uh, there's a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of ladies down there. So I would probably say 50 to 60% of my clientele were female. Um, and, you know, still obviously a lot of males, but it was a big clientele base of ladies and, and ladies are, are really enjoy the social group environment. So you, know, you started with the kind of started when I was there with the basic ideas of like your, your ladies coffee clubs and your short game clinics and just your basic ones. And then kind of people go through those clinics and they they go, oh, I've done that. So if you re-advertise it, you get less people. And eventually with the amount of people in the area, everyone's done your coffee club, everyone's done your short game clinic. So then it was like, well, we've got to get more creative with this. We've got to, we've got to do different stuff. And then, you know, I think the first uh, different one was the golf and Pilates program that I run. So this was way before swing fits days. And um, I'm a big believer that, you know, you've got to be educated to give advice on something. So I got a Pilates expert in to do the Pilates component. So we had a six-week program that was I would do an hour of golf, she would do an hour of Pilates, and the Pilates would match whatever golf component we're doing. So in driving, she would have a strength component for the Pilates. And then in um, in when we're doing putting week, she was doing balance and stability. So there was, you know, it all matched up. And that program went, you know, went gangbusters. I think the first year we had 54 ladies through it, and then we did a follow-up season to it. So by the end of that, we'd, we'd done about 130 ladies through the golf and Pilates program, which was massive. And we ran that, and obviously that went for a couple of couple of seasons. Then just got in a heap of different ones. So things like the most popular clinic I've ever run was called Stop the Top. So it was just a two hour clinic to stop people topping the ball. 
Now around a public golf course with a heap of ladies is a heap of toppers. So, you know, that that went bananas. So I just released Stop the Top, a little bit of a spiel, a bit of advertising, and it just where you know, I think we've had we've had over like over two hundred people do that clinic. Like it's ridiculous. So that was great. Um, it was, you know, I'm probably going to change the name of this one now to bang it like Bryson, but like bang it like Bubba. So it was just a, a couple of hour clinic on, you know, hitting it as far as you can. Some really good ones with suppliers because when I was managing the golf course, I wanted to have events that one built club sales, but two built coaching. So um, like the 10 meter challenge, which I started with Callaway. And I've also done that with uh, Titus at Spring Valley, where it's a two hour clinic where you get a, a club fit. But then you also get taught about how to generate power and speed. So, so is it your clubs that get you the distance, or is it the the swing? And and over the clinic, we guarantee that we'll get you hitting it ten meters further, or you get your money back. Um, so, not only do people hit it further and they're stoked with the clinic, but then they all try new drivers and equipment, and they buy a new driver or they buy new irons because they're going so much further. So, um, yeah, so it's a it's a way to put a sales on someone without them even really knowing they're getting a sale. But it's just fun. Everyone loves those. So. Yeah, you know, I suppose they're the tip of the iceberg on a few of them, but um, but yeah, and then I suppose the other ones are like uh, another really popular was train like a pro for your average Joe. So um, a full day clinic where I'd get a tour pro or someone who'd been involved with the tour, and each aspect of the game we would have half hour on um, on the technique which I would do, and then the tour pro would do half hour on how they train and practice. So we do that over chipping, full swing, putting, and then on course. So um, it would be a full day program with a lunch, and um, yeah, people love it. So they learn how to train as well as they learn how to um, how to actually get their technique better. Really, really cool ideas there. So that's that's interesting. Um, so I'm assuming you had private coaching in between these programs that you were doing these clinic based stuff. What was the the take up? breakdown between the two different types of coaching did you find that they were going to more towards one way or was it evenly split um it, there's i suppose it came down to money too like a lot of people just love having their fortnightly lesson to stay on top of it for some people that's just not financially viable but they would then go through all the clinics so the best thing about having um, all these different programs. So I would sort of run out a, a calendar of events where each month had a topic. So like March is stop the top, you know, you know, April is bang it like Bubba. Then there's, you know, get out of the get out of trouble one. So people would just sign up each month and then continue to sign up for the next month. So some of these people who didn't want to pay the $70 for a half hour for a lesson, but they were more than happy to pay $70 for a two-hour clinic there with six other people. So those people would do that every month and come to a come to a different program. So I was kind of hitting all, all markets and, and some people would come to the clinics because they love the idea and the topic but then also have their private lessons on the side so you know I would always personally set goals that I want to be doing 30 hours of personal coaching and then my clinics on top of that so um, yes and then the clinics would be you know probably six to seven hours of clinics a week uh, uh, over all the different types of clinics there would be the specialty clinic of that month I'd always have a beginner clinic. I'd always have a um, two seniors clinics, and always have a couple of junior elite elite squads. So that's kind of where I structure it now. Cool. And how uh, those clinic groups were? How big? How many players were you having in those sessions? In those group sessions? Um, I try to never have more than six. Um, yeah, never more than six with a minimum of four. And a big thing that I stress that. I've got all my clinics listed so people know them. And if they can't come to that month, as long as they get their own group of four or six, I can run that program for them at any time. So pretty much people can say, oh, Trav, I, I missed Stop the Top back in March. I'm like, cool, we'll get four people or six people together and I'll run Stop the Top for you now. Um, so that's been really good too. So I'll have my scheduled ones that I'll do that people will book, but people know that they can just make their own group and, and do whichever clinic they want whenever they want. So that's been super popular as well. And I, I've really gone away from the the four-week beginner clinic, four-week transition. I still offer the, the four-week beginner because I think you just you need four weeks to to get everything covered to get you out there playing. Um, not as talented as Sandy where I can get them playing golf in 15 minutes down at Oakley. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, if I, can, if, if I have four weeks for beginners, but then after they've done the beginner, I kind of recommend, well, we'll stop the top would be next best next for you and then um, go from there. So you can get them in for anywhere from – two two hours to a day and you can do that on the day and they don't have to commit to multiple weeks so i think that's where i've really tried to evolve it away from that you know you know you're having to commit to a certain period of time over a few weeks just commit to more time on one day 
I'm guessing it would help too being a public access course that is fairly easy that you get them on the golf course sooner rather than later without having without having them too challenged by the course itself. So that's probably a good thing as well. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the big thing with the private courses too is, you know, to try and tell a beginner that they've got to dress up completely perfectly well and that to just get them out on the course or, you know, if they want to go to the putting green and they're out the front of the clubhouse, they've got to be dressed correctly, which for a beginner sometimes they don't even understand that. They're like, well, what are you talking about? So um, that, that that's a little bit of something we've got to work through as a whole industry. Um but it's, yeah, it definitely was easy at Brighton just to get them out there, play a couple of holes. If you lose a few balls, who cares? You know, it's it's fine and fun. It's um, Hopefully it's changing. Hopefully we're starting to change those archaic rules a bit and moving on to something a bit more more current, hopefully. Yes, crossed. yes, definitely. So you've shifted over now to a private golf course. So you're now at Spring Valley Golf Course, which, for again, people that don't know, is on the sand belt in Melbourne. So it's not obviously not the maybe the tier one type course, but it's certainly in that tier two of the sand belt courses. Um, tell me about some of the changes that you faced when you shifted over there. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one, and it's still uh, it's it's still still negotiating with the club to finalise what our long term view is. Um, we went in there. I, I met up with Marty Joyce and uh, and Paul Skinner over there, who were there. And uh, Marty had done quite a few years with the VIS, like six or seven. And and then you know we went in there with a bit of an idea because the VIS were leaving Spring Valley to come up with this you know new plan to um, to get people in, have our own academy, but also use it as a funnel for membership. So um, the idea was great. The GM at the time loved it. Um, there was a little bit of you know fight back from a couple of uh, a couple of board members, which stalled a few things. Current the GM that was there at the start left new GM now so we're you know we're getting everything rolling and back up and and fingers crossed it all it all happens but we believe we have an amazing product that you know not only are we going to have what we hope to be the best golf academy in Melbourne but uh, but also a feeding ground for Spring Valley that there's always constantly new members being fed in there through my database of how many you know how many people I have on my database still learning the game and getting into the game to feed them into membership so. Which is cool. So which of these programs that you had going at Brighton came straight across or was there some you had to tweak slightly or what changes did you make? Um, I didn't really tweak any. And uh, to be honest, 80% of my clients at Spring Valley aren't Spring Valley members. They're they're from other places. And, and even when I was at Brighton, like, you know, a fair few were at Brighton, but I had, you know, it's all word of mouth. You know, I had so many Woodlands members that come and see me for lessons and Keysborough members and already had, I think I already coached two or three of the board members at, at Spring Valley when I was at Brighton. So people just come to these events because it's word of mouth and their friend brings a friend and, and across. So, you know, in the time I was at, at Spring Valley so far in the year I've been there and ultimately we had some time off with COVID lockdowns. And um, so, yeah, done definitely done the stop the topic there and I've done the uh, what we call arm yourself against the course. So that was just uh, it's a two-hour program about all the shots that you're going to encounter, like under trees, over trees, divots, long grass. Um, I've done quite a few of the, the full-day clinics that train like a pro for your average Joe. Um, and uh, the next month, I'm, well, the next one I'm going to do is the, the good old Bend It Like Beckham. So it's, uh, it's, it's two hours on ball shaping. So, um, yeah, and things like the ball shaping one and, um, and those, members really like them as well because it's a little bit more advanced, the ball shaping one. So I don't really encourage my newer golfers to go through that, but for the more experienced golfers, that, that's good. Okay, so what type of coaching tools do you in these in types of these programs? Do you use TrackMan? Do you use any sort of coaching tech when you're doing these programs, or is it more just your eye talking to them? Um, it, no, it's it's definitely my eye talking to them. But what I I, I do use the tech for like the ten meter challenge to measure things. Um, so in that we're like, well, we want to check angle of attack, we want to check path um, and we want to check face contacts just to see if there's any what we call oil leaks so and then we've obviously got to test them at the start and the end a big thing about my coaching is that exploring areas so like let's say for example in a in a short game session and we talk about distance control so what I'll do is as a group and I like to try and do as much group stuff as I have so there's not just you know working one at a time and then you know Mavis down the ends wondering what she's doing for 20 minutes I want to have all of them have them active completing a task at the same time and then I'll help individually as we go so like let's say I'm teaching distance control so what I'll do is give them three different ways 
to control distance. So we might all start with doing it through what I call through feel, where we will all get a basketball and we'll turn back and throw the basketball out at different lengths. So that'd be our first method. And we get them all to try that. And then we might use a visual method. So we'll talk things like um, like the clock exercise or like, you know, swinging back to knees, to hips, to shoulders. So we're talking more backswing length in a visual fashion and we might put some restrictions in their backswings. Or even um, then it's, you know, not a lot of people use this one, but even through sound. So getting them to get an alignment stick and they've got to move the alignment stick through the air and it's not allowed to make a noise. And then you move it a bit quicker and it makes a bit of a noise. And then you move it quicker again and it makes more noise. And then they grab their club and they've got to try and replicate those so that's a you know, distance control through sound or, or, or making your club collide with an impact bag at three different noises. So it's got to get louder. So we might just there, that might be half an hour of the program with 10 minutes on each parts of distance control. And then we have a discussion, you know, what did you like, Joe? What did you like, Peter? And it's amazing how after it, well, Joe might say, oh, the visual, that was awesome for me. And Peter goes, no, 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 well, the feeling, that was great for me. So it's about exp- to me, the clinics are about exploring different avenues to achieve the same result and then people grabbing on and gravitating to the one they like and the one that I might then push them to that I'm like, you know, let's say for the feel exercise, the feel for distance control, someone might be doing it, but I wasn't as happy. I was much happier how they achieved it when they did the visual. I might push them towards one to say, hey, look, I think that was the better, but it's about letting them explore it, let them try it and, and then finding what's best for them. I'm I'm curious because I really like that way of coaching and I tend to encourage my own students to go that way and explore for themselves. How do you deal with that guy? And I've had them in the past that says, just tell me what to do. I don't want to explore or play around with stuff. Just tell me what I need to do. How do you deal with that type of golfer? Um, it's, it's a really good question. And you get that a little bit. Like you will get someone who just wants to know, but I'm a massive believer if you ask them enough questions, they will identify what's wrong. And then if you ask enough questions, they'll find the answer for themselves. So, you know, I think one of the biggest compliments I had um, I had, had from my day, the client goes, oh, you ask a lot of questions that I know you know the answer to. And I'm like, yeah, well, I want you to tell me the answer and then you'll believe it. So, like, I will still go with that person or he'd just tell me what to do. I'll still be asking them questions along the way about, oh, what caused that or what could you do to do something different and placing them in situations that they'll work it out. Like, if they're that stubborn, you might go to the answer quicker, but I'll still try and lead them to the answer rather than just giving it to them. If they can, if you can lead it, lead them to it and then they find it, it's theirs. If I just tell them it's mine and if it's mine and it stops working two swings later, they're not going to keep doing it. They're going to ask for another answer. So if, yeah, if you lead them to the answer, they'll commit to it and they'll, they'll take ownership of it. It's hard because I had a client that was in that same kind of vein, but he was uh, in the finance field where they went and uh, uh, collected debts. That was his yep. job and he was six foot four and about four foot wide. So yeah. he, he was not the kind of guy I could just tell to do that. So oh, it can def- be challenging. No, I think that the, the key is to have an analogy for every situation. Like I like to know, like you just need to come up with a finance analogy for him that makes him think a bit about it and then can justify things and, and go about it. But yeah, I've got an analogy for every situation, I reckon. So yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Really cool. I like it. Now I'm hearing all about all these programs, but I'm not hearing anything about juniors. Is there a certain type of golf that you prefer to coach? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. Like, obviously, juniors are you know the the, the we we need them. We have to get juniors into the game. It's it's essential. So, if at Brighton, for example, like I I could coach nine hours of adults and I would in a row and it wouldn't bother me. I'd feel great. And I do two hours of junior clinics, and I'm like. Oh God! Like you know, maybe it's because I don't have kids and I'm just not used to you know constantly having to be on top. And I'm just always worried one of them's going to kill another kid or, or whatever. So I still have fun doing it, but it just it wears you out. Like it, it, for me, and then there's other coaches who just you know are obsessed by it and love it. So I'm of the belief, well, let's get those coaches to coach the juniors, and I'll do the stuff that I love. You know, there's other coaches who love coaching juniors, but if you give them you know 50 to 80 year old ladies, they they want to shoot themselves. So, you know, I, I love that demographic because you have so much fun with it, fun with them in that regard, but then they want to, and that sounded really bad, that I'm going to have fun with 50 to 80-year-old ladies. But, um, <laughs> but you know, the clinics and programs and, and, and stuff I can have with them, I really enjoy that. So I, I always structure my 
coaching around the things I love the most, which is individuals getting big results. And what I mean by getting big results, I love coaching a, a 20 to 30 handicapper who slices the ball 50 metres and I can get them to hit the first draw they've ever hit. Like that excites me. Um, I haven't until just recently worked much in the high performance space because it, it hasn't really interested me in golf because, um, you know, you, you have someone and, and it's always little tiny changes. It's, it's more of a management of the player than it is a, a teaching. And I love the, I love the art of teaching and coaching. So, um, yeah, and I'm doing a lot more with the high performance space now with a, with a role with Golf Australia and that's, that's exciting. And I'm trying to take my, still my thoughts and learning principles of, you know, putting people in different situations, trying and exploring into that role, not so much the, the, the it's not as much coaching of changing. So, yeah, I've loved the coaching, big changes and the groups, but never a fan of kids. So at Brighton, I just employed coaches to do that and, and I oversaw and managed the program because I like the management of events and management of programs. So I would help with all the, you know, with their advertising, with the back end, um, with their newsletters and all the things to get the kids in. And then they would deliver the programs. And then the thing that I liked, I liked coaching them how to deliver better programs. So I would do staff training with the coaches and, and show them how to run a, a ridiculously good junior program. I just wasn't the biggest fan of delivering them to the kids. So, uh, yeah, but I got people who did. And, and together, we had, I think at Brighton, we had over 100 kids in the junior program um, through something like, I think it was like 16 junior clinics a week and over 100 kids. So it was, it was a huge program. And I took great satisfaction of helping build that. Um, and if I needed to, I could jump in and coach any of the classes. But I, I took more enjoyment about coaching the coaches of how to how to run them really well. So I'm, I'm getting from that that your thoughts are possibly for someone coming under coaching, do it all early on and see what kind yeah. of tweaks your interest and what what you find the enjoyable side of coaching and head down that path as a specialist coach. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I, com- I completely agree, and hence why I tried the management aspect of, of golf as well. Like I, I, I did the management at Brighton. I enjoyed it, but for me, I've got to look at you know value for money for me too. You know, to get a, a management role at a golf course, you're doing forty hours a week, but you're not making the same hourly rate we can make as coaches. If you can be a busy golf coach, you can you can make more than a more than a manager. So that's and for me, it was more satisfaction and more job variety, and I could change the job how I wanted when I wanted. So, and as a coach, you don't really have to answer to anyone else if you're just coaching and running programs. So, um, yeah, so I definitely say that, you know, follow what you love in your coaching and, and be really, really good at that. You can't neglect completely the other, other sides. Like, you know, there's guys who are putting specialist coaches now, which I could never do that. Like I love, I love teaching putting, but I could never just look at putting strokes all day, every day. But they love that. But I guarantee those guys still give full swing lessons as well. So, but they do that because that's their passion. Yeah, I'm personally on that same page. I tend tend to send my my putting guys off to someone else. I don't tend to enjoy teaching putting too much either. So yeah, um, there's plenty of experts out there. Now I've heard you bring up a few times, but is your coaching based on a subscription based payment way, or do they pay individually, or do they pay per month, or how have you? Yeah, how have you set payments up? It's all it's it's individually or like they'll pay when they come for a clinic or a program. The subscription model is what I'm trying to set up at Spring Valley, where we want to have and I and I think some guys like Kerry Gray over in um, over in WA has done it awesome. Like I love seeing some of his Instagram stuff where he's just got huge groups out practicing, music going. You're just building a community, so that's what I really would love to get happening at Spring Valley, where you know my my clients who aren't necessarily members of Spring Valley could sign up to be in my coaching subscription and, you know, three nights a week they can come down and we run supervised training. We have some beers on, we have some music on. It's not necessarily coaching. There's, you know, I would monitor everyone, but I would be more setting them up things. So they're practicing properly and practicing with structure. And then, you know, that subscription might mean they get two lessons a month. They get to hit unlimited balls. They come to the structured training sessions and it's a, and it's a fee. So I definitely, want to have that as a as that as an aspect there is still and especially with my clients i do have a lot of clients who just want to you know they want a quick fix you know they, they might see me three to four times a year and it's just before they've got an event going on and um and they'll come and see me so i still think you have to have that option but i definitely think the subscription model is good um that the, the the way you got to be wary with a subscription model is offering too many private lessons and then discounting them down. It's got to be, well, my private lessons are still actually full price in the subscription, but you're value adding by the training sessions 
or you're value adding by different things. So I think that's the key. I've seen a couple of subscription models where people sign up, but then if they actually average it out, they're running at a very low hourly rate. So you've got to keep your hourly rate the same or you've got to work out like group clinics getting it higher. Um, but I definitely think it's a, it's a way to move forward into Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, how have you dealt with COVID? Obviously, we've had some. Uh, we had a second wave come through Victoria, which was not ideal. People just did the right thing and make it a whole lot easier for everybody. Um, but how have you? How have you dealt with with COVID in your coaching? Um, yeah, it's a, it was a really interesting one. Like the first, the first COVID was um, just listen to every single podcast, every single coaching thing. You know, it was just filling yourself with information. You know, um, Andrew Rice did a really good series of interviewing coaches. So I think you've listened to all of this and all those, gone through everyone else's podcasts and that. So the first one was all, all that. So you kind of felt like you stayed reasonably busy. Um, the second one was more frustrating. It was like that, you know, <laughs> you know, kicking the kicking the guts, you know, oh, down. So, you know, getting out and doing exercise, uh, being my wife's coffee bitch, excuse the French. Um, so <laughs> getting coffee every morning, and um, I mean, I was lucky enough that with the with the role with Golf Australia, um, I could do a one day a week coaching with the uh, Golf Australia rookie squad. So we did that down at Sandringham. So I still got to do one day a week coaching and then online lessons were, were obviously picking up and getting busier and busier. So it was a, a space that I hadn't been in massively prior, but, but definitely got more and more involved in it. And now to the point where I have to have an hour, hour a day aside that is just online lesson time that at the end of the day, I'll put that aside and do that where I have to film, film little instructional videos for online clients or do voiceovers. So that's become a much bigger aspect of my coaching um it's not once again it's not an aspect that i thrive on um it, it's not bad but i just love to jump through the camera sometimes and grab the client and move them into the position i want to move them into or as we were sort of talking about before there's three different ways maybe to achieve one task and if i see them not achieving that task correctly i just scrap it and i go to a different way to achieve that task so you can't really do that in an online lesson so it's definitely a space which is important um, but there's, I still don't believe there's nothing like a, a one-on-one golf lesson. But in saying that, if you're in an area and you can't get to a good coach, then you know getting a good coach online is exceptional. It's amazing that we can do that now. So talk me through how you do the online coaching. Have you got a certain app that you use or a certain um, certain platform that you go through? Yeah, so I use um, use Skillist. So Baden Shaft, an Aussie golf pro, is the one who invented it with uh, with one of his clients who was the IT guy for it. And uh, I got on board with those guys really early. So back when that app was starting, and I you know, truly believe it's the, the best coaching app there is and it has definitely helped them revolution my coaching business, not just not just through the online stuff, which is now giving me an extra extra um, income stream, but just through the platform and how I can, easily I can communicate with clients, how I can, you know, their app pretty much allows me to put up coaching videos that are always sent through to my clients. And it's just a way to keep clients front of mind or, you know, you're always front of mind with your clients because I can constantly communicate with them easily and send them videos. And, you know, what I can give them at the end of a golf lesson is, you know, is so far above what what I, I ever received in a golf lesson of you know some written notes or maybe a, a screenshot like they will get a full lesson storyboard of everything we did and, and every everything in there so skills is the one that I use um, when you get an online lesson you'll get you know generally um, a couple of videos and if it's a one-off it's a couple of videos a little bit of a, des- a description Nowadays, it's all about um, more a subscription model where people sign up for a month and they pay a monthly fee and they can send you as much as they want whenever they want, which is great to go back and forth and not have that uh, that lull when they're doing something the wrong way. They just come back to you and you're like, oh, you're not doing it properly. You can, you know, you can give them some more info. So, yeah, that's it's good to go that way with the subscription and back and forth. So I'll always at the start film a little personal video of myself asking them some questions so the questions like the interview process i would do at the start of any golf lesson just to find out more about them and backgrounds and everything we ask as as golf coaches then i get them to film themselves and send it back sometimes like i received this morning i got a 15 minute video back from someone someone in america who was uh yeah it was awesome like it was great to great to get to know him but i felt like i was now now he's my mate that i'm sitting next to so um but it did take up an extra 15 minutes of my time this morning but um but yeah i get that back and then that helps me really actually have a personalized coaching program for them not just 
you know, a video seeing them. I know a bit more about them and I can develop and give them drills which are relevant to to them, which is which is good. So, yeah, that, that's fun back and forth. And, yeah, like, yeah, I've got guys in Sweden and in America and you know, all over the place. So you'd never think that you would, uh, yeah, have the ability to coach. Really cool. It's certainly a changing space, and I think if you if you aren't doing it now, you're certainly getting left behind. I think most of the the um, good quality coaches are in doing some sort of online coaching now. So it's amazing, what, cool. amazing what people are willing to pay to. Like I I was having this discussion with uh, with Marty today of I think I probably just need to be more expensive. Like you know not and not because I think I probably even get more people if my price was higher. I think yeah, you know, sometimes when you see someone who's cheap. And they're like, oh, maybe there's something wrong. I'm like, because there's guys out there, like some of the, the good international guys are charging, you know, two to three hundred dollars for an online lesson. You know, it's a it's a fair bit of money and people are willing to pay it. Um, Steve Giuliano and some of those guys, and there's a guy in Canada who's done hundreds and hundreds of online lessons and getting really good money for them. So yeah, if you enjoy that space, you can make some seriously good money, but you've got to have a bit of that, you know, Instagram you know insta fame and and that stuff to really push your push your model and i'm not the biggest fan of trying to push a model because as i've explained to you i don't really have a model i've got six models and i've just got to work out which one is right for that client in front of me that certainly makes sense we had steve on the podcast a few weeks ago so encourage everyone to go back and find his episode because we had a good chat about his online stuff and how he goes about it so it's um it's a a pretty cool space but it brings up some other issues as well i think i saw you post in one of the, the facebook golf pro forums about someone who was on your range hitting balls and was obviously having an online golf lesson with someone that could have been from anywhere around the world yeah Um, yeah. so how did you deal with that situation well it was an interesting one because it it actually didn't phase me at all like i was like that's that's awesome like and i went up and chatted to them because i was wondering if they were actually using skillless because skillless was just has now just allowed us to do um, Zoom face-to-face online lessons as well. Um, it's generally just been, you know, a back and forth, like a, a messenger type of thing. But now you can actually incorporate that in your packages where you can have a one-on-one Zoom online lesson. Now, once again, that you'd have to start charging a lot more for that because that is just like your individual time rather than being able to do it when you want to do it. So I just posted it up on that forum because I was really interested on other people's views. Like if you were paying for coaching rights at a at a venue and then suddenly in theory another coach is giving someone a lesson on your range, like is that good or is that bad? You know, it's it's the it's the way I suppose it's going to go. And our technology is going to get even better. Like, you know, what, 10 years' time, there might be a hologram of that coach standing behind you actually, you know, yeah. actually, actually they're coaching you. You know, I go up and have an argument with them and they disappear. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, it was just an interesting topic and, and got some funny responses on it like you do on those forums where you know people want to tell you you're not obviously not doing your job good enough if uh if someone's getting an online lesson <laughs> like oh you I need to know them into the comments i, I yeah. didn't see those nasty ones yeah there was a, there was a couple that were like yeah anyway it's like if people love that space people love the online stuff and and if they feel that you know getting an insta famous coach out there is the best option for them well that's great you know that that's that's fantastic you know you know, as I said, working with Marty, like Marty is one of the, the top coaches, but no one really knows about him. You know, no one knows what he's done and his background, but his knowledge is exceptional. Where then there's someone else who's been coaching for two years with 50,000 followers that people think knows the world. So it, it's a very interesting space. And I think it's, um, yeah, I suppose you've got to pick your coaches on, on who you want to, yeah, who you want to take your lesson from. Well, speaking of Joycey, if he answered his phone calls, he'd be coming on the podcast soon. So get, get onto it, Marty. I'll, I'll, him word, him, I'll word him up. <laughs> Tell him I'm chasing him to have a chat to him. But um, I would argue that if they're having online coaching with some sort of coach, it's got to be an improvement on having his 20, 25 handicap playing partners helping him out on the driving range as well. So that isn't a good thing either. <laughs> Completely agree. And if they're having a golf lesson, obviously they're thinking they want to learn, they want to get better, they want to improve. And if I go up and I'm really nice to them, I'm like, hey, how you going? Oh, cool. That's amazing. Who, who are you seeing? If you ever need me to check something for you when you can't see your coach, just let me know. And then suddenly, oh, they might come and have a lesson. They'll get me to check something. And next thing I know, they're a client. So, you know, it's, and, and I'm more than happy to steal a client off someone in Europe than I am to steal a client off a coach standing next to me. So, <laughs> makes sense. Now, mate, you're obviously so, like, we've, covered so many different topics today and you're doing so many different things how the hell do you stay sane in this time you're doing so much work at the moment do you have any time for yourself 
Oh yeah, definitely, kind of. <laughs> um, I do more now that I that I am not managing Brighton. Like when I was managing Brighton and coaching, it was it was it was pretty full on. Um, then uh, yeah, then when I left Brighton and actually moved to Spring Valley, I did have a bit of a you know a bit of a health health thing there as well, which I had actually neglected for for quite some time because I thought the tiredness and stuff I was getting was due to the seventy hours a week, but it was actually a um, it was actually a bit of a health scare. So I got on top of that. Now I've moved to Spring Valley. It's interesting. I can do forty hours of coaching in a week, and I feel quiet. Like so, it's. I think I've just tra- you just trained yourself to be busy. Um, I, I I don't have kids at the moment, so I do have a lot more time. Like I suppose if you worked out how many hours you spend looking after your kids, and you added that on top of how much you work, you're probably still doing more than me. So I I, I don't think it's yeah not too much and. I just enjoy the variety. Like I just like if if I all I did was just coach golf at Spring Valley every day, I probably wouldn't enjoy it. Well, I would enjoy it, but it wouldn't be the same as you know doing some lecturing for the trainees, you know, going to Marysville and doing a day coaching up there, or you know doing all these different things, or having a, a running a next event. So, you know, I think that just keeps that that work life balance better when you've got all that going on. And yeah, I've got my my side hobbies which I which I love and um and, and do those as well. So it's uh yeah, it, it's it, it's it's a good life, I suppose. Awesome, mate. Sounds good. Well, Travis, thank you so much for your time today. I certainly appreciate you coming in. Um, there is four questions that I like to ask everyone that comes on the podcast, so I'm going to throw those at you now. Um, so the first one is any tips and advice for coaches starting out in this golf coaching field that we that we both work in? Um, shadow everyone. Like, so uh, go and watch coaching. I did that in my traineeship. I um, I just would go and watch coaches and, and you know, whether it was watching my, my current boss that I had or going to MGA and watching some coaches. Um, there's so much stuff on, on, out on, online now that you can just watch watch that. But don't then just think what you hear is gospel. All right, so take 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 information from everyone and then make up your own ideas and beliefs because I do see a lot of new coaches, they go and see, let's say it's Andrew Rice who presents or, or or breed or whoever, whoever else comes out here and then suddenly everything they say is gospel. Um, you've got to still make up your own mind and choices on the direction you want to go and say, I like that, I like that, but no, I don't like that. So make yourself as a coach but get as much information from everywhere as you can so you can make the most educated decisions. I think that's really cool advice because I I, I've, I see it quite often with coaches just starting out is they, they go and watch a, a high-profile coach and, as you said, they take it all as gospel. They think that, that that person is – what everything they're saying is absolutely right. And I think it's good to challenge. It's good to take take what they do and improve on it even or go and take it away and put your own little spin on it. Um, I think that's that's great advice. Massively. And don't be scared in, in one of those um, in one of those seminars to challenge the, the coach. Like I know when I do my seminars, I want to be challenged by the, the you know, whether it's the trainees or the people attending those seminars. So that that means well, I'm spurring up conversation and I, even as a presenter, I, I actually look at that. If someone challenges me, I, that's an opportunity for me to learn um, as, as a presenter and make my presentation better next so don't be scared to challenge don't take it as gospel a lot of it is great and correct and you can implement but yeah definitely not all gospel i like it a lot um okay so any tips for golfers out there so i'm hopefully there's a few golfers tuning into my podcast as well as just coaches so what uh, tips do you have for those golf those golfers out there um, we, you kind of briefly touched on it before. Don't take advice off your uh, off your twenty five handicap playing partners. And what I say to my clients is that always ask them, "How will that make my ball fly better?" So anyone who tries to give you advice, say, "How will that make my ball fly better?" So pretty quickly, that rules out every twenty five handicapper who's just trying to give you a, a quick fix of tuck the elbow or do this. And if you say, "How will that make my ball fly better?" Suddenly you've stumped them. But I also challenge my clients to always ask me that. So if I'm telling them something. And trying to improve them, I challenge them to say, "Well, how will that make my ball fly better?" Now, I should be able to answer it. If I can't answer it, I probably shouldn't be telling them that piece of advice. And then, if that, we can link it back to this is I'm doing this because my ball is going to fly better in this way. Then there's a real justification for that piece of information to stick. I like that one a lot. I think um, there's so many coaches out there that can't support what they tell students to do. So if you can't tell them the reason behind the change, then you don't understand the information strong, strongly enough. And that's where I do see a little bit of that coming from some method or model model coaching where it's like, well, 
this is what the model tells us we need to be. This is the positions the model tells us we are, but it may be not right for that person. It mightn't just physically work with body shapes, sizes, conceptually it mightn't work. So I think that every time and as a, as a, you know, a trainee mentor and I have to mark some of the trainees on stuff, I have absolutely no issue if they're teaching a model and, and I think it's it's great, the path, but I want them to be able to justify if they're going to put that player in a position, how will that position make the ball fly better? How will they, how can they justify why they're doing that? I think that's the most important thing. Really cool. Um, okay, so where do you see yourself or golf or coaching? You can answer either one or all three in five years' time. Well, I'd love to be running a coaching academy where I can be coaching but also coaching coaches and and coaching coaches and clubs to run events that just in, incorporate everyone to make the place they're at the place to be, like not just go to a driving range, hit balls, but go to a driving range because it's a community. Go to a golf course because you can go to the range and there's other people with similar interests. It's, it's a fun, good place to be. It's not just the driving ranger. It's not just I go to the golf course to play golf and make golf courses more of a community environment where everyone, there's not just, you know, that group always sits at that table by themselves and that group sits at that table. Like You want everyone to be involved with each other and have enough things going on at your club and events going on at your club that it becomes that community. And so I see myself still obviously coaching a lot, but trying to oversee and help clubs become better in that way. Now, whether that's at a at a range in itself, whether that's at an academy I can set up at Spring Valley would be the ultimate goal. Um, not exactly sure, but it's it's got to be all inclusive and everyone has the same interests that we love golf and we want to play golf and have a good time doing it and you know, everyone help each other get better because I know that's what we did have in the snow environment where it was like everyone was out there just to have a good time. I, I couldn't care less if you can't do a backflip, you know, or you can't do this. It doesn't matter. You're out here trying and you're out here having a good time and no one ever put each other down at any stage. No one ever said, oh, well, you've got the wrong colored pants on. It's just like, hey, we're, we're, having, a, we're having a good time and let's all do this together. It's good. So you, I, I, you said your ideal space would be Spring Valley. So do you see that in Australia or overseas? Uh, probably in Australia. Um, if you were to move overseas, you'd have to completely reset and restart again. And, and probably, as bad as this sounds, I'm I'm 40 now, so you know I, I can't really reset and restart uh, restart again. Um, so yeah, I, I, in Australia definitely. But you know where that is, I'm not sure. You know, Sandringham's got a massive development coming up. For, you know, you know, you never know. You know, they potentially love to maybe chat to the people with what's happening there and see if there's something there. But ultimately, right now, my eggs are in the Spring Valley basket, where I want to make that because I see the opportunity there. Whether whether ranges is a little bit separate from the actual full club, so we can use it as a transition phase to have potentially non-members become members and get involved. So the space and the facility just allows for the model that I like. But um, but yeah, I'm open to anything. If someone wants to set up a massive academy and wants me to run it. Come and speak to me. <laughs> and I'll, I'll put my hand up as well. Yeah, yeah. As well. yeah definitely, definitely. Um, so if you had the chance to go back and change anything, was there anything that you would change in your career so far? I, I don't think so. Like I, I, I don't think so. Like, you know, I loved all my time snowboarding, which which was great. So to say maybe I should have pursued golf earlier, no, because I never really wanted to play the game for a living. I wanted to coach the game. So... I don't think so. You know, I've had a really good time doing it. Love my snow stuff. Love where I'm at now. You know, maybe make some smarter decisions with money. I don't know. That's about it. <laughs> have more. No, have, have more in the bank, and maybe maybe not spend as much on a nice bottle of wine or something like that. But you know, yeah. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I regret anything I've done along the along the way. Definitely not. No, that, that, that's fine. That's a completely valid answer, and it's been quite a common one so far yeah. to that question. So I haven't got any issue. I actually bring that question up because I would change a few things in my own personal career. But um, yeah, okay. I don't have any. I don't have any issue with people that don't. That everything has played its role to get to the space that you're at. That you're at now. I, I look. I look forward to the uh, to your podcast where you interview yourself. I'll listen in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that. Um, just quickly before we let you go, have you? Do you do any snowboarding still? Is there a chance to get up there in in the winter time in Australia? And yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So I, I always try for one trip a year. Um, yeah, last last year with that little bit of a health concern that stopped me going last year. Um, and then uh, and then this year COVID stopped us. So I'd planned, uh, wife and I had planned for Japan um, at the end of this year, but that's not going to happen with COVID. Um, but yeah, always trying to do one overseas trip 
a year. So whether that's, you know, a couple of weeks in Canada, or I've done a couple of Alaska trips, which have been amazing. So heli skiing up in Alaska. So that that's incredible. Um, but always try to get back overseas somewhere um, each, each year. And I've still got a lot of connections away overseas. So you kind of you catch up with people or there and then have uh, athletes that I used to coach or now become friends with who have places up at the snow at Mount Ballora or, or that that I can always get up and, you know, sleep on a couch for a night or two and, and get, get some days in riding. So, yeah, definitely still try and get up as much as possible. It's just a, a little frustrating not being able to quite do it at the level I used to do. <laughs> that's it. That's a, that's a, that's a problem as you get older you can't do those things that you used to do oh definitely that's part of the fun so where can people find you if they're after some coaching or just want to get in touch with you yeah so you you can uh obviously a couple of different social medias uh trav harrison golf on instagram uh travis harrison golf academy on facebook uh you can get through the spring valley website there's the coaching tab on the spring valley website which also has straight to a booking link um or just email me, which is my email is, is tharrison at pgamember.org.au. So, yeah, any of those avenues, I'm, I'm more than happy to, yeah, to, to get involved with. I've, well, you asked the question about COVID, and I have actually started a little bit more Instagram through the last COVID, and it, it is amazing that even just Spring Valley members that have found me through watching my Instagram becoming comfortable with how I coach through, through there. So, yeah, um, any of those avenues, people can contact me. I'd be more than happy to help out, whether it's online or whether it's uh, – whether it's in person or even if it's just to chat about golf and business, I'm always happy to um, yeah to chat. Had after doing the webinar with the PJ not that long ago about building a successful business, I've had a few a few PJ members contact me about that, and we've helped them sort of implement a few things, and, and that, so that's that I enjoy that. It's don't expect anything for that; just enjoy doing it. Nice, Travis. So I'll put some links to everything in the show notes so you can find Travis on that. And, um, again, Travis, thank you so much for your time. I certainly appreciate it. It was a great chat, and we might get you back for a part two at some stage next year. No problem at all, Brent. Appreciate you having me on. Awesome, mate. We'll catch up soon.